Happy Monday, one and all. It is September 20th, 2021, and this is New Mexico in Focus, the podcast edition. And I'm your host, Kevin McDonald, also an executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. And we uh, shared some of the content from our show last week, along with some extras. We're going to do that again here today, and we hope you enjoy the conversations encourage you to go back and check out that last episode. If you didn't, in particular, our discussion with federal wildland uh, firefighters really learned a lot about their working conditions, their low pay, their seasonal status, their lack of benefits, all of that while wildfire seasons get more severe and longer. Really need to do something to address that, and they had some great thoughts on how to do that. Uh, So encourage you to go back and give that a listen. Going to kick things off here by uh, taking a peek into another side journalistic project you've heard us talk about here. It's called Growing Forward, a podcast all about the cannabis industry here in New Mexico as we get that off the ground. Co-hosted by Andy Lyman of New Mexico Political Report and Megan Kamrick, who does correspondent work here, also the news director at KUNM. They recently sat down with three members of the new Cannabis Regulatory Advisory Panel that will make suggestions on policy to the Cannabis Control Division, which is part of regulation and licensing that is overseeing the cannabis industry. A fascinating conversation here about Native representation, about the equity piece. Uh, This panel will have a lot to say. Again, they don't have any authority necessarily, but they do have a strong advisory capacity to make suggestions on how to make the program equitable and find out a little bit more about what that means exactly. So here now, an excerpt from Growing Forward. And Emily, I wanted to ask you a part of the Cannabis Regulation Act that became law earlier this year also requires an equity plan to ensure adequate representation in the upcoming cannabis industry. You were also pretty involved in the legislative process. Can you talk about why representation is important in the initial steps the board is taking towards that goal? Yeah, we're really excited that there's language in the statute that addresses equity. Um, And and what we mean by social and economic equity is that we know that uh, the war on drugs um, prohibition, uh, the harms fell heavily on communities of color, low-income communities um, in New Mexico, tribal communities um, as well. And so we want to make sure that uh, we create an industry, a new industry that um, allows communities that have been most harmed to be able to participate. Um, And so Part of the statute was to, for what we are charged as an advisory board, to provide recommendations back to CCD on policies and procedures to promote uh, and ensure that there's participation in the new industry by New Mexico communities. I think we're the only state in the nation that actually named some specific communities, tribal communities, acequia communities, Um, land grant Merced communities and other historic communities. And um, so we really stand out in, I think, pushing um, the the bar on equity um, and making sure that our system is as equitable as possible. Now, the the statute does include some other equity provisions. So so for example, the micro businesses. Um, However, 
We know that communities that have been most harmed, people who are formerly incarcerated, people who have a felony on their record have a harder time uh, getting into the market. There's so many barriers, access to capital, legal barriers, distrust in government. Um, and so we're hoping that the plan we come up with will actually define a social equity applicant and we'll be making recommendations on how to support those equity applicants from technical assistance programs um, to recommending that the legislature appropriate dollars on things like revolving loan funds for equity applicants. Uh, and so it's it's um, the most, in my, in my opinion, the most critical thing that this advisory board will be doing is really making sure that our communities are represented in this new industry. Are you guys and looking that, to other, I'm sorry, the other programs that have for models for that, you know, like SBA and like disadvantaged business, those kinds of things? Absolutely. I think those will become models. Um, and we're looking at other states because not only have states done this, but also local government. And I'll just shout out um, that the city of Albuquerque has set up an equity committee uh, to address cannabis equity at a local level. And that committee is made up of community members um, that have been primarily mostly impacted by um, prohibition. I just wanted to mention that one, <clears throat> one of the things that I've done in my life is that I have been a small scale commercial farmer as well. And um, there's certainly a lot of enthusiasm in the small farmer community in Northern New Mexico. And I imagine throughout the state in being able to participate in this new market, but that they feel uh, for all of the reasons that Emily mentioned <clears throat> potentially that they may be overwhelmed by the larger uh, producers and manufacturers. So I think the emphasis on equity is good and hopefully will result in a lot of people being able to benefit rather than just a few. Emily, to, to follow up on the equity uh, portion, um, the Cannabis Control Division did add some specificity on the, the equity issue through rules and regulations. Um, but I've also sort of heard this thing mostly online or just people talking to me that, that it seems to be that seems to me that there's this misunderstanding that um, instead of encouraging um, certain groups to apply that there's some sort of quota. Uh, is your reading of, of that the same, that, that it's not that they have to approve so many people from that group, but it's an encouragement to get those groups to apply? Do I have that right? Yeah, and so what's different from New Mexico, just looking at other states' equity programs, is other states had a cap on licensing, right? So they, in, in you look at, let's say, New York's um, statute, they set a, a limit, a threshold of how many equity applicant, how many applic, how many licenses have to go to equity applicants. So, for example, fifty percent. Um, so that's they've set that in statute. New Mexico is different in that we have no cap on licenses, and in fact, that might benefit us from an equity perspective in the long run. Anyone can apply. So what uh, the the rules and regs that you referenced, Andy, um, there's just a goal that's set there. It's saying of the applications that CCD gets, um, the goal is that at least 50% are equity applicants. Now, the there are many other steps to support those equity applicants. So 
Um, there will be programs and procedures set up to support the and how we define an equity applicant. So our advisory board is charged with making recommendations on what criteria um, will it will be for equity applicants. So it's not a quota. Um, it's really a goal that's set to say, we hope that at least 50% are equity applicants. And you can subscribe to Growing Forward today if you don't already. Just give that a search wherever you get your podcast, Growing Forward. You can also find all the episodes. We're in season three now, believe it or not, on the NMPBS org website. Just look for the link on the front page there to Growing Forward. You'll see all of those episodes. A great read or listen and a lot of great work there by Andy and Megan. We appreciate them a ton. All right, we're going to pick back up with our line panel from last week. A reminder, that's Crystal Ciarza of Ciarza Digital PR. Also former Senator, uh, State Senator Dee Dee Feldman and Dan McKay, reporter at the Albuquerque Journal. One of the topics they tackled last week had to do with where we are with COVID. Uh, the public health order that was in place that included the indoor mask mandate still was extended last week by Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. Also, we've seen the, the federal guidelines come down about all of the mandates in businesses, uh, which will hopefully take some of the pressure off of uh, local business owners and uh, policymakers. Um, with that guidance from the federal government, we are starting to see a bit of a plateau in cases, but here in New Mexico, they're still much higher than they had been, and it's really sad to see those daily reports. We've had a couple days in the last week uh, with as many deaths as we had this time last year, and so there's just so much to consider here as we head towards Balloon Fiesta, lots of other things coming up, and so wanted to chat about it all with the Line Opinion Panel. Maybe we all saw this coming, but it's still not great news to hear the governor's indoor mask mandate has, quote, at least another month to go. That as the Delta variant continues its march through New Mexico and the nation. Over the past few days, we've seen case counts level off a little, but they're still high, as are hospitalizations. Now, one new thing is the Biden administration's request to have OSHA force businesses with more than 100 employees to require vaccinations, as you might have heard. And Dan McKay does it feel to you as though anything has changed with respect to who is going to be abiding by these mandates, masks or vaccines? The same people abiding, the same people not abiding? Have we brought this closer together? How's this going to work? Uh, it, you know, it does. Uh, there is some evidence that vaccination rates have picked up a little bit. At least they did in August. Um, Due to the mandates? You know, so I, yes. So yeah. I think and, and incentives. There was a hundred dollar incentive. Um, so I think that, you know, there are people out there who are genuinely um, uh, reluctant to get vaccinated, but still open minded. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, those are the people who are going to come up with with employment, you know, who are going to comply when their when their job is on the line. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I, I do think that, uh, you know, the opposition is not entirely hardened, although uh, there certainly is sort of a vocal element. Um, but you know there 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 are people who are still getting vaccinated, um, you know, for the first time uh, this far into the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Senator, interesting uh, stats here: um, unvaccinated people are 40 times more likely to die of COVID. Nine out of 10 COVID hospitalizations are unvaccinated people. A lot of folks know this, but a lot don't. And a recent study shows an almost eight billion dollar cost to treat unvaccinated COVID infections. 
that's a, a, a phenomenal number when you really think about it, six billion dollars, not mm -hmm. to mention the loss to the economy. Um, I guess I say again, is there, for folks that don't want to abide, should there be a, co a societal cost to them? Should society make it a little more difficult on them to go anywhere, to do anything? Is that the next step here? Well, it's hard to see what the next step is. This yeah. seems pretty drastic uh, as it is. Uh, but I do think, yes, that um, we'll see if this works. I think, um, you know, a $14,000 fine for a business who does not require um, vaccinations to protect its own employees right. uh, or testing is it's pretty hefty. But, um, you know, there, there needs to be, we are, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated mm -hmm. and we are all paying the price for them. In fact, I read a story just recently about uh, a nurse who worked in a um, ICU who is quitting because um, she has worked day in and day out with people who have had COVID uh, at great physical and mental cost for, to her. And now she's working with people who had the choice of whether to get vaccinated or not, and they chose not to. Mm -hmm. And now she's saddled with taking care of them, with putting them on a ventilator, with conveying their last wishes to their families. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, t it's too much to expect of people. Uh, it's too much to expect. Uh, and I think that the president will be on very firm constitutional grounds uh, with requiring vaccinations. Um, and I think that will make a difference. It's going to take a while, but people are getting vaccinated. Um, because I don't think people are ready to go back to being shut down. And that is that if we don't get a higher vaccination level, uh, that may be the only alternative. And no one wants that. That damages the economy tremendously. There you go. Good point there, that last point. Hey, Crystal, the White House is selling this mandate as a cover for businesses who want their employees to get vaccinated but are worried about requiring it themselves. In other words, they can now blame the government. I mean, you own a business. What are you asking or requiring? And if you have, if you had over 100 employees, I got to ask you, would this feel better to you? Um, well, I wish I had over 100 employees, but um, you know, it, it's it's an it's very awkward for a small business owner or a large business owner because technically, you know, under 100 is still a small business in in the U.S. Uh, in the Small Business uh, Administration's eyes. Um, it's it's so awkward to have these conversations and in terms of leadership because you know some of us business owners actually want to make sure that an individual feels comfortable in the workplace but because of external circumstances that are outside of the workplace it makes it uncomfortable to have conversations about vaccines you know knock on wood we haven't had an outbreak here in our office at Ciarza, but um, it is it's still very nerve-wracking to have and 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 it also becomes a matter of um, how do we make sure that, you know, on one hand, we, you know, we were asking very politely and some individuals are not getting vaccinated. On the other hand, we've got some of our employees that that um, feel uncomfortable if our other individuals and if we can't talk about it as, as an organization. Mm -hmm. and, and I think one of the things I, I do kind of want to divert away from the conversation about small businesses and, and, and look at like what what at the whole picture of our country. 
Um, I, I feel very optimistic, not only from the state of New Mexico, but here in the United States that we're actually finally hitting a plateau. And, and, and I understand that small business owners and employers in general have to make sure that the doors are still open because the amount of sick leave and the amount of outages that we've had because of people um, being uh, coming down with COVID. Um, I, I feel very optimistic that we're actually hitting the plateau that we're starting to see here in New Mexico, that employers are, are, are just anxious to go back to what life was like mm. two years ago. And yeah, two years ago when nothing was going on in, in terms of COVID um, right. and, and all of our employment and our staffing levels were pretty okay. Um, but let, let, but let, to let me question. jump in for Dan here for a Go quick ahead. sec. I appreciate that. Um, I wanna take a brief moment, Dan, to talk about, to chat about ivermectin. Are we over this? If studies show ivermectin is effective, what's the hit to trust of the medical community? Is that fair after all? This is how science works, right? I mean. It's almost like a mini <laughs> trial going on that people are taking upon themselves to do. How should we uh, consider this ivermectin thing? Uh, it, well, I, I think it's just too early to say whether ivermectin is effective for COVID-19, according to the FDA and the, mm -hmm. the CDC. You know, there are um, studies underway. It may prove to be an effective treatment, but, um, uh, but that's not clear yet. Uh, you know, we did see we've had our first suspected ivermectin overdose death in New Mexico, um, but that is not connected to, uh, you know, a prescription from a doctor. Mm -hmm. This is someone who apparently um, got the medicine from a veterinary supply store. And that, you know, that is a whole other Ouch. thing, you know, in terms wow. of the volume or self-administering, something like that. Um, so so there are kind of two separate issues you know there's there's sort of this off this black market type of uh vet supply uh drug and then there's also people who get it through through their physician um but uh the, the state of new mexico the top physicians for 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 the health department are advising people do not try to take ivermectin on your own um let the studies play out and um you know, we'll, we'll find out if it's an effective treatment. There are other effective treatments that are already available. Mm -hmm. Good point there. Senator, let's talk schools. How do we feel it's going to work? You know, with in-person learning, it's clearly important and better for most kids to learn that way. We all know that. But August saw a huge increase in positive cases for kids who were on campus at some point. Now, that's starting to wane, certainly. But does anyone see any way around this other than masks and vaccines, Senator? I, I, I can't imagine there's any other solutions out there. I agree with you. I think that we have to maintain masks. And of course, that's what the state order uh, said, indoor right. masking um, for the for the next month. Mm -hmm. And particularly important in um, younger children for whom for whom there is no vaccine yet. And I wish I would hear more talk about vaccines for those younger children. Mm -hmm. You don't hear that much about it. I was just but about to ask. I was about, let yeah. me spin that to Crystal. You know, we won't know until the end of the month, actually, if the CDC is going to recommend vaccine boosters at six, eight or 10 months. Any sense we'll get a similar you know, rate of people to get with the shot? We're not talking about kids here, as Didi just were, was, but the booster thing, does that have a chance in this society? So the, the booster thing, I think, does have a chance in, into the society, into our current society now, yeah. especially for those that are immunocompromised, like Counselor Lon Senna, 
um, publicly came out and said, you know, me as a cancer as a as a cancer survivor, I'm currently actively going through um, chemotherapy. It was it was the best thing. It, as much as I wanted to make sure somebody else had the vaccine, I need to get a booster myself. So yes, mm-hmm. I think that booster shots should absolutely be a part of the conversation. Talking about children, I if there was any big critique that I had, it is why are we not talking about children? You know, agreeing with Senator Dee Feldman, like we absolutely need to start thinking about vaccinating our children because of the fact that, you know, looking at, you know, polio and how that was a children's, uh, that was a children's um, type of illness. We look at mumps, rubella, measles, et cetera. We have vaccines for that. Why not add that? uh, Why not add COVID um, into the conversation? So that way over time, our communities become immune to COVID um, over the next, you know, generations. And and I think too, Mm -hmm. yeah. Go ahead, last word, go ahead. Real quick. And the last thing, too, it's like mm-hmm. we just need the world in general just needs to get on board with vaccines. I look at things that are happening in China and losing trust in vaccinations and the lack of education in China, in the Philippines and in, in Asia, et cetera. It is really disheartening to see that the rest of the world doesn't understand the importance of vaccines and helping us get back to where we need to be um, as a global economy and, and, and as a as a community of, of various different countries. Mm-hmm. So that'll do it for this week. Thanks to our panelists. I'm back in a moment with some final thoughts. All right. If you don't know the name Khalil Ecolona, you should. He has done correspondent work for us here in the past and, and as well as collaborations in his time at KUNM Radio, hosting the Your New Mexico Government podcast, the No More Normal podcast, just doing great work over the last year uh, covering the impacts of COVID-19 on all of us. And we have some bittersweet news to share as Khalil recently took a job to kickstart a brand new radio show at the NPR station in Nashville, Tennessee. We are excited for the opportunities that that provides for Khalil, but sad to see him go. And we couldn't let him get fully out of town without taking a few minutes to chat with him. And that was our Facebook Live last week with Gene Grant. Wanted to bring that to you here Uh, This is a personal issue for Gene, as you will hear. Uh, The loss of any prominent African-American male with a voice like Khalil is felt strongly across the community. They're going to talk about that, but they're going to also go to the lighter stuff in terms of the music scene here in Albuquerque. Some fascinating thoughts there. Uh, Khalil is already in Nashville, but um, his show launches in the beginning of next year, so we can say we caught him before he was too far out the door, and we hope to keep in, tr- in touch with him in the coming weeks and months. But wanted to share this with you now. So here's host Gene Grant. Thank you, Kevin McDonald. Hey, guys, time for a Facebook Live. That means it's Wednesday. That means it's around the noon hour or just a minute or so behind. No biggie. You can see on the screen an old friend, Khalil Ecolona, late of Normore Normal, late of KUNM, late of KNME. But currently, in case you didn't know, he's doing his thing right now at WPLN in Nashville, Tennessee. We have lost Khalil, but we wanted to not let him get out of town without saying first thank you for all you've done here, sir. I mean, you've emptied your bucket. I have to say that straight up. You did a lot of things here with art, with your programs. I mean, all that kind of thing. I know you're sitting in Nashville right now, and sometimes it's easy just to disconnect from where you were. So hang in with me for just a quick couple of minutes on this. Oh, yeah. How are you feeling about, about leaving Albuquerque? I got to say, first off, mixed emotions, I'm imagining. How, how closely were you wed to the city and how difficult was it to leave us at the end of the day? It, it was extremely bittersweet, Gene, um, because, you know, I, all the my broadcasting career, my broadcasting life was born in Albuquerque. 
You know, I don't know if I were anywhere else would this have happened. Um, so it was really tough. And like, I was thinking about this. I mean, I've only been here for since Saturday, so it's not even yet a week. But as I'm driving across country, I'm like, Khalil, this is not a vacation. You're not going to be going back to New Mexico. You're not going to be going back to Albuquerque. This is a move away. And it was incredibly sad because, you know, Albuquerque has in New Mexico, they, it has become home for me. In so many ways, 12 years, it was 12 years to the day when I got out there and I left that I came no in. No kidding. Yeah. And it was, you know, that, that, that's symbol, symbolic and stuff. I, that doesn't really miss me in certain ways. But it's just incredibly sad because I'm just missing so many folks who were so supportive um, and people who were open to whatever crazy creative idea I had. They were like, hey, um, we're, we're, we're here for it. We're, we're willing to, you know, see how it goes and just to see how it supported and, and just the, the help, not only from everybody I got at KUNM, but from yourself, from Kevin, New Mexico PBS, just people being like, oh, yeah, this guy, let's throw him on camera. Let's throw him on the radio and see what he can do. It's just really humbling. And, and you know, I, I look forward to the day where I get to come back in to visit. Yeah, that'd be fun. After you've done a few things, we're going to get to some of your work at, at PLN here in a quick second. Um, I, what I always respected about you, dude, is you had a finger in a lot of things, meaning you're, you're obviously a professional broadcaster, radio and television, but you also put on shows. You were very wedded into the art scene here. Uh, you did your own shows. We had that funny bit that you and I did at Sister Bar about uh, football. <laughs> when yes, you yes. That, that thing too. You were always throwing stuff up against the wall. It was amazing. I, I, like every three months, there was like something new from you. Is that just who you are? You just like to get a lot of stuff out there and keep that pot stirring and all that kind of thing? Yeah, that is. That yeah. is. I I've, I've always have a lot of ideas. Fortunately, I've been able to have, uh, be, become friends with creative people, people who love to have a lot of ideas and just my interests. You know, yeah. it's everything from politics to uh, broadcasting and news investigative journalism to sports i have a wide variety of interests to comedy to yeah. music i and i like i like exploring them and if i think something's a cool idea and if, if i think it's cool i'm like i think other people may enjoy this then fine and it's also a way for me to just to kind of get it out of me you know if you have this idea and this bug inside yeah that's great i could throw it around myself and some people who may enjoy my company can get into it but if I can share it with others, who knows? So yeah, I just like to throw everything up on the wall and see what sticks. And if it sticks, we're gonna keep on going with it. Nice. You know, I say this due, due respect to the town you're in now, which is uh, no small artist uh, place. That's for sure, we'll talk about that in a minute. But what oh, yeah. you're describing to me, it warms my heart, you know, because Albuquerque, that ability to accommodate the artist imperative without any pushback, without any why. Well, why do you want to do this? Why do you want, why don't you do this instead? How people just rally for people here. You, you can't collate it. You can't put it on paper. You can't yeah. kind of demonstrate it. But that very much is how we do it here, isn't it? We just get with it when someone has an idea to put out there. Mm -hmm. I love it. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. hey, yeah, uh, that, that's true. It, yeah, absolutely. Hey, real quick, I think also think one of the things I respect about you is you wedded yourself deeply into downtown as well. I thought it was genius that you bartended at Sister Bar. I mean, that is like the rallying point for downtown, for artists and musicians and stuff. How yeah. important was, was actually being in Sister Bar a couple, three, four days a week 
for your own growth in Albuquerque and getting to know the artistic community? It was really great. You know, I was working at the press club, the Albuquerque Press Club tending bar there uh, yeah. before. And, and um, some folks who were working there said, hey, come on down to the sister bar. And I was kind of I was kind of splitting time before I decided to kind of cut it up because, you know, I'm older. Um, and so I don't need necessarily want to be there to party, but it was a wonderful way to get connected and to see what other artists and creative people were doing and bringing to sister bar. Because, you know, there's a lot of other venues in town, but the if you wanted to perform the heartbeat of a lot of the creative performance venues is sister bar in itself just from all the shows they had you know dick dale come in they had you know biz Marquee come in you know or you can have the red light cameras a popular local band or you know or prison bitch who's a fantastic local band so you had this mix of everyone there and this the energy and I like being there. I like being a part of that. I like seeing who was coming into town touring acts. I like to see the local bands or the local acts. And it wasn't just music. Um, they would have the Moonlight. Oh, I'm, I'm totally getting it wrong. Moonstone uh, Festival on, on Sundays, you know, once a month where, you know, people come in and sell their wares. It was a true community hub and a spot for folks to come together and to connect. And so to be a part of that, to see that it gave me ideas for what could happen. I had ideas of maybe doing a karaoke night there. Um, a few other things, I'm like, wow, this is just, I mean, COVID kind of shut some of those ideas down. Um, but it was, it was like, wow. And then, you know, for my own performances, I'm like, okay, I, I didn't even think about it one day until I put myself on the gun and just, I hadn't really prepared much of anything I just walked over to the boss and the other guys who were doing booking and said, give me a day in December. And that was it. I worked backwards from that date. I said, okay, I'm going to perform in December. I have to get it ready. Fortunately, it was August at the time. So I had months to make it happen. And, and I did. And I, I was lucky enough to perform there quite a few times because they're, they're total pros and they, they treat you well. And to, um, that was a real nice experience because, you know, I had some friends who knew what I could do. People in the community didn't know, but it was the look of my former colleagues on their faces. Did <laughs> you see the surprise from them? Like, whoa, you came with something different and it was good. Wow, we like that. That was a lot of fun. So, you know, I like to be in the heartbeat of stuff. Yeah. And, and it's a just, a, I like to connect people. Somebody has a wonderful idea. I, I, I find it part of my duty. If I can connect you, hey, here's a number. Here, call this person, talk to this person. And that was, a, that was the place to connect and bring different worlds together. Mm -hmm. We're talking to Khalil Ekelona. He's sitting in that little box in Nashville, Tennessee. He's now working at WPLN in Nashville. But you know him from our air, of course, and also from your ears from KUNM. Lots of good stuff he did over on both entities, dude. I got to tell you, you know, you should be proud of the you know, the portfolio that you built up uh, at KUNM is, is tremendous. And I was thinking about it. Let me not get ahead of myself, though, for a quick second. Let me touch one last touch on the music scene. You know, interesting music scenes in any city rises and falls over time. You know, people age into the thing. They, you know, start garage bands in their teens and grow into their 20s and play out on stage and stuff like that. Does, does Albuquerque need something to get its music scene a little more elevated? Is there something missing in your view now that you're Got it a little bit in the rearview mirror. Is it more? Yes. Let me throw a couple things out there. Is it more? Do we need more venues? Do we need more yes. active bands? What is it? 
Yeah, I think there's there, there's plenty of active bands. You need more venues. Okay. Um, uh, for not just venues that are good for local bands, but they need to build. So there's a lot of folks who are, and the stranger tied us in with the potential stadium for New Mexico United. Mm-hmm. I think a better thing to have is a stadium that would fit an NBA team because then you can bring the Taylor Swifts, the Beyonce's, Ariana Grande's huge acts into town. I think at the stage like that, a venue, there's a former venue in Los Angeles that closed down called the Knitting Factory, where on any given night, they had two 2,000 seat arenas. They had a 500 seat, 300 and then little workshop places, something like that to where you can have a wide variety because we have so many talented people and so many different genres of music, but there are limited places for them to play. And that I think hurts this town. I think the fact that too many people just to get an opportunity to play will play for peanuts. And therefore it makes it incredibly difficult for folks have put in the time, have the skill level to be paid to play what they're play, paid what they're worth to play. Right. And what I mean by that is <clears throat> if you look at just the simple DJ town in the DJ scene, there's so many wonderful DJs who should be getting paid more than $250 a night. And don't want to, I've seen the books in too many different venues. They can afford to pay these DJs what they're worth. But so many folks, I understand what it is to get yourself started. You don't want to charge much. But it there's a there, there's a disconnect to where venue owners don't respect the talent, the ability, and the skill level of the performers. So because you have so many people who are starting out just to get a name for themselves are willing to do it for free or next to nothing. Mm-hmm. And therefore they say, well, why would I give you $500 for this night when this new person is doing it for 50 bucks? Right. Well, you know, Gene, just as well as I do, you get what you pay for. And just having a DJ or having a band is not enough. And so Competition is good because it brings, to quote Q-Tip from A Tribe Called Quest, competition's good because it brings out the vital parts. And yes, let's create a competitive landscape in Albuquerque that, yes, if you want to play at these venues, if you want to get paid top dollar, come with it. Come with it and bring the skills. Because you, I'm in Nashville now. The only way you're getting on stage in Nashville is if you're top notch. The only way you're getting on stage in Los Angeles is if you're top notch, you know, that's what it has to be. So let's have more venues out there in Mm -hmm. Albuquerque, but also have an understanding from the venue owners and the promoters to pay people what they're worth. And also an understanding within the communities of the creative people themselves, where you don't have new people lowballing just to get some acclaim because you can be a local bar star. And that's 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 fine. Or you can really set make a name for yourself, because when you make a name for yourself, you're making a name for the town. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has to happen. I think that that will happen a little bit. Mm-hmm. Once again, COVID kind of changed people's minds on that level. And people, while they're excited to be out and to experience live music, I think people are a little bit more let's say judicious about who they really spend their resources and time with. That's right. Thank you for saying that last bit's very important. The entertainment dollar is a very hard dollar right now. And you better be yeah. able to people need comfort knowing the walking in the doors, the quality experience is about to happen. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, is there, I can't remember, there was a place in Nashville, I seem to recall, uh, it was an outdoor event, but it was in the streets with sort of this interesting overhang area. Is that, am I describing something <laughs> completely there? It was, it was a place where people go to hear music, but it seemed like it was right in the city. And the reason I bring that up is I've always felt like downtown, however, as a place for stages for new music is super vulnerable. Like the second somebody opens on the west side, a yeah. good, I don't know, let's pick the seat count number, uh, 1,800, 500, whatever, whatever it is or another sister bar or another something, you know, the, 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 the tilting of gravity could be a real problem for downtown. And I just, sometimes I worry that we're not quite shored up enough downtown yeah. for the music scene, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. Um, there's new places always vying for everyone's attention. Right. And um, this is a twofold thing. One, from the patron and customers, people are a little bit too cheap to where if a show is asking, hey, give us $25 right. for a ticket, there's too many people who will walk away. I work at Sister Bar. There's fantastic shows and people are like, I'm not paying 25 bucks for this ticket and whatnot. But that also falls upon employers in New Mexico. Pay people more money. The mm -hmm. cost of living is going to go up. Trust, it is going to go up. Have salaries that are commensurate with that change. And you will see the, the improvement of arts, entertainment, all forms and facets of life in New Mexico rise with that. It is incredibly important for that. Hold on one second. Please. What's up, Gabrielle? All right, we're talking to Khalil yes. Ekelonim. Yes. Uh, no uh, if you'd like to get in the thread and say thank you and goodbye to Khalil, we'll take that too. Just weigh in on the thread and we'll, we'll make that happen. And by, as you can tell, Khalil is at work. Folks, he is at work. This is not his home. <laughs> so trying to find a quiet corner happens now. And again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my <laughs> colleagues had to perform. Right. I'm not so, on the mic. Okay. You know, I'm enjoying this conversation about the music scene for a couple of other reasons, too. Uh, let me tie, start to tie Nashville and where you are now into this as well. That's an awesome background. I love where you got, what you oh, got yeah. going there. <laughs> there you go. I love it. There's your still photo. WPLS. Yeah. Um, Nashville, probably more than any other city, absolutely knows how to honor its own, whether living or past. If you get my drift, Hall of Fame's all over the place, walking tours all over the place, uh, bios of everyone who's ever done anything in Nashville. I've often had the thought that downtown for Albuquerque would be the place to do a New Mexico Music Hall of Fame, to somehow stitch all the past and the present together with having live music down the street and just sort of get it all together. Again, from the outside looking in now, you're not here anymore. How does that ring your bell? Does that it, it, Would that in a Nashville almost way make sense for Albuquerque? That would be really, really fantastic to have something like that, you know? I mean, downtown, how many empty buildings are there where you can house something, you know? Let, let's get a bunch of people behind it. Let's get the city behind it. One Albuquerque along with uh, New Mexico United, along with the Kellogg Foundation, along with Amazon and Netflix, all these folks who are coming to town to take advantage of um, what New Mexico has to offer will throw a little bit more into it and create and build some of these spaces. I would love to see uh, the, the Netflix amphitheater come up. You know, why not? Why not? And, and you know, something that something else, Gene, I think that 
it would serve New Mexico and the city well if people took more advantage of Civic Plaza. Now, I know Somos had taken advantage of Civic Plaza finally, but Civic Plaza is a fantastic way. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, where we would have a thing. We would have Artscape. We would have AFRAM at basically our version of Civic Plaza all summer long. Every weekend, there was something happening there. You know, but it's rare that it goes that it happens in New Mexico. Why is that? I, I couldn't constantly agree have that. You know, yeah. Meow Wolf wants to come in. Meow Wolf put some money in, and not just have people come to Santa Fe for that because not everybody can get to Santa Fe. Thank Build you. something in Albuquerque. Take advantage of that. There's so many untapped and unused resources that you know people would complain about and be upset about, but do it and the time really is now for it because people are so thirsty for it you would find so many folks open i, I couldn't agree more i didn't mean to step on your last point there I, I couldn't agree more you know the answer to that is khalil and i've said this for years is the city puts the functioning and the entertainment schedule of a civic plaza and all things with it out for bid let mm. people who book shows and entertainment and all that kind of thing you don't have it done by the dweebs down the hall in City Hall. It, it, it's, it, you, it, there's no person, and I say this respectfully now, so you from the people from the city always get touchy about this, but it is unfair to ask someone working a, a, a salary in the city of Albuquerque to have the chops and the radar to book an, an, an entire place like Civic Plaza. You gotta let that thing out for people who do that kind of thing all the time. You could yeah. have so much going on there, like you said, a la Baltimore and everywhere else, just yeah. one of those things we can't seem to get to. It's really kind of a shame. It, it, it is a shame, Gene, you know, and, and, and don't make it subject to cronyism. You know what I mean? Right. Open it up to absolutely everybody, not just the two or three people who are connected who think that they know everything that there is to know. Open it up. Really, honestly, keep it open. I know there's a mayoral election happening, what, next month? Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, it's coming up soon. Well, well open it up. Let, let's get rid of the cronyism. Let's really make Albuquerque the open progressive city that it can absolutely be. Every A lot of people out here, I've been out here for a few days asking me, what is New Mexico like? What is Albuquerque like? I'm like, it's wonderful. It's a great place. It's yeah. going to go through a lot of changes in two years, five years, in 10 years. I'm like, it's going to go through a lot of changes. Jump on the ball now so these changes aren't reactionary, that they're progressive. I love that. I love that. And also, I have to say, for folks, you know, I'm in my 60s here, it is time for a younger generation to put their stamp on Albuquerque. It's just that simple. In a way they want, in a manner they want, and, you know, to get a feedback that they want, it's really not so much, you know, what us boomers want anymore. I mean, we're about to turn a corner, like you said, in this city, and it's got to have the imprint of a, of a younger generation. Very interesting yeah. points there. I appreciate that, your, your take on Albuquerque. How did you come to pick Nashville? Was it the city first? Was it the station you're at first? Or what was what was the trail there? It they kind of found me. Um you're talented. You see what happens? <laughs> Hunter came and approached me. Um, they they were listening to what I was doing with KUNM and the excellent talented and genius Marisa DeMarco, who just started a fantastic uh, a news outlet called Source New Mexico. Check it out, check it out, check it out, trust me. You're in good hands. Um, and, you know, I never thought Nashville. At first, I was like, Nashville, I don't know about that. And then I just asked around to some people that I trust who live in different parts of the country. And they're like, oh, no, Nashville's very cool. Nashville's very cool. And as I opened myself up to it, um, 
we began, we kept on talking, kept on talking. And, and, and here I am, it, it just, you know, sometimes things don't happen quickly until they do. Right. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> like, whoa, like last week, I'm like, I'm leaving. Right. Oh man, you know, and I was going through that. I had boxes in my room and packing up and, and my place, but it was just wild how quickly it all really happened. And I, I like it. I, I went, you know, being from back east, it's good. I'm closer to my parents. This is the first time, this is the first time since college that I'm moving to an area by myself and I know no one. Oh, wow. And I was like, whoa, it's nice to do that as a fully grown person. Yeah, yeah. and to uh experience what life is like then it's like well how good are you at making friends and making connections and seeing what's happening and and thus far it's been wonderful yesterday i was at um a little mexican restaurant down the street from where i'm staying and i ran into some people from taos so really? <laughs> yeah yeah that was Wonder, we actually had some people we knew in common. So that was just a wonderful gem. That's like, I feel like the universe touching touching the moment, being like, yeah, you're in the right place. I like that. That's a, that's a sign. That's a sign. Yeah. How you find, yeah. you know, obviously you're leaving a place that has a 2.9 African-American presence here in the, uh, in the county to a much different situation in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm not saying this as if you're naive. I mean, come on now, you've been around the country uh, plenty yeah. in your life so far. I'm curious the difference you're finding uh, going from one to the other. Wow. That is something to notice. And I noticed that on my trip as I got further and further east, uh, stopping in Oklahoma City, stopping in Little Rock, Arkansas. You know, that's the thing. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Um, haven't had a chance to really dive into the culture yet. Mm-hmm. But something that I noticed that I noticed out here is that just simple. If you're walking down the street, folks at Albuquerque wouldn't speak. Hey, how you doing? Just walking down the street, just a little nod. Hey, how are you? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. How's it going? Or just interactions. Folks in Albuquerque necessarily wouldn't speak out here. Pretty much everyone does. You know, I don't necessarily know if it's fully the Southern, the genteel nature of Southern society and Southern culture. Mm-hmm. Or folks just make it a point to recognize you, you know? Um, you think it would be reversed in this place where there are not many African-Americans, folks would make it a point to recognize each each other constantly. Not so much the case. Um, we can we can we can probably do another hour-long talk about why that is yeah. the case. <laughs> uh, but that is nice. That, that is nice, you know, seeing different folks and just seeing the wide diaspora of folks that are out here. Because um, I know there's a large Nigerian contingent of people out here that I've done huh. to me and to, to know. But it's um, it's been something. It, it's been pretty cool. I'm like, oh, hey. And, <laughs> but everybody out here is pretty nice because there's so many. I, I've been likening it to Los Angeles. So many people are moving to Nashville from other parts of the country. Um, for a litany of reasons. And then you have people who are native Nashvilleans who have their opinions on that. So it's like LA, so many folks wanted to become stars, so many folks who live there. There's two different cities to get to know. And I, uh, hopefully I can I can learn them as well as I've, I've got to know Albuquerque. Right. You know, when you think about Nashville, obviously the obvious music stuff comes to mind first, but I've, I was telling you, I've only been there once. 
And I was dying to get back because what surprised me, it didn't take long to figure out how deep the place was beyond just music. There was a lot going on there that I was really fascinated with. And the other fascinating part was, much like a lot of cities around our country, you get this pin dot of this huge metropolis and then right outside the city limits, it's a whole other vibe completely. Have you, have you had a chance to get outside Nashville yet and just kind of tool around the greater outside area yet? Not yet. Uh, yeah. I saw a little bit of that on my drive through. I stopped at a place about 30, 40 miles outside just to get uh, take a rest yeah. before I pulled into Nashville and I noticed that. But that kind of reminded me of uh, New Mexico. You know, you go outside of Albuquerque, Santa Fe, whole different vibe. And people ask because they see it as, oh, you know, New Mexico, a lot of times, you know, people look at states and tend to think of a state's culture according to how they voted in a presidential election. Right. I'm like, not necessarily reflective of what the state is made up of. You know, about half of the state of New Mexico's population lives in the Santa Fe, Albuquerque area. Right. You know, the other half lives in what some would call the sticks. Um <laughs> There are different cultures. There's different ways of being, you know? People decide to act and interact with each other differently. They have a different set of beliefs and values. So I have not yet. And that's something that I want to do because it's just so green, so many trees, so many open bodies of water with river and lakes and things of that nature, which is very interesting. I saw an egret behind the studio here because behind us is, I don't know what lake or, or bay this is, but... Um, it was an egret fly, you know, I'm like, wow, I need one of those it's National Geographic. That's great. Um, the Smoky Mountains aren't too, too far away. So I, I hope to, in the coming months, being able to explore other parts of the state and get to get, get to understand, you know, the, the geographical nature that makes up this place, much like, you know, going to the Sandia Mountains or White Sands in New Mexico. I appreciate you saying that because you're quite right. I mean, I spent an interesting night in Marysville, Tennessee, not too far from uh, Nashville after a long drive heading the opposite way that you came, but from east to west and coming okay. down that parkway. Absolutely a beautiful part of our country. Absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Oh, my goodness gracious. Even yeah. with a 24-foot U-Haul with a car behind it, which is how I saw it. So, okay. you know, it was okay. kind of interesting coming downhill, dude, in that in that vehicle. Um, let's get to what you're doing now, because I know you got to get back to work here in a quick sec. WPLN, what is it? And, how, you know, what's the main deal there? And what are you specifically going to be doing for them? WPLN is the NPR affiliate, much like KUNN was um, at New Mexico, the NPR affiliate for Middle Tennessee. I am going to be the inaugural host for a new local show called This is Nashville. It's something that they've had ideas for for a long time. And they have the ability and the resources to launch this out. So we're going to launch, I believe, the second week of January. And we're currently right now building the team. We have an outstanding producer, Andrea Tudhope, executive producer who's running the show. She and I are the first two people aboard. We're looking to get more folks involved. So if anybody is interested in being a senior producer, uh, please just look at go to WPLN.org. And uh, you can find out the information there as far as how to apply for that. They asked me to help 
with that. So I'm just going to shamelessly throw that plug in. Um, you know, and it's a fantastic team of news folks. You know, Blake Farmer, if you listen, you can hear Blake Farmer at least once or twice on one of the national uh, NPR broadcast morning edition or all things considered. But we, we just went to lunch. He's awesome and cool. It's just a really great team of news folks there, which I'm entirely used to having worked with the fantastic folks at KUNM for a long time. They have W. XNP, that is a music channel where they have a fantastic bevy of folks who are playing hip music from all over, not just country music, not just blues music, but all sorts of stuff. And so this station has really been growing and expanding over the past few years. And I'm really just excited and happy to be a new member to this team as we hear out here to really launch this show so and and the show's gonna have a little bit of everything you know we'll feature the fantastic news that comes out of the station but we're talking about art we're talking about culture we're talking about politics and history and things and you know there is quite a little um that's my boss quite a little um project coming up with um folks from there's a project oops sorry don't you worry about it. There's mm -hmm. a project happening from, um, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of different music and things of that nature. So I'm like, hey, let's let's go. It's, yeah. I, I'm really excited. Is Nashville getting youthy, so to speak? And we think about country music. It's kind of this musty, older stuff. Oh, no country music fans listening. It's not really true. But you know what I'm saying? If people tend to view it as a little bit older. Is, is Nashville getting younger in sort of its vibe, in your view? From what I've seen, yeah. yeah. From what I've seen, is quite it's a good mix of folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good mix of folks, but I would say that there are some younger folks coming out. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I know we've kept you a good uh, half hour plus here. We miss you already, bro. Oh, I miss you guys too. Yeah, absolutely. It really be if you know. I'm saying to Kevin, any loss of any one talented black man in Albuquerque is a major loss. It's not like it's Nashville or New York or San Francisco or Boston. It means something, and especially the kind of mark that you left here, at Khalil. You really did. You emptied your bucket, as we say in sports, and you did your thing. So, keep us up to date. Let us know what's going on. Uh, there are lots of folks out here who would love to keep up with you, bro. Bro, I mean, they just want to. All of your success. That's what I'm trying to say here. They want they want to ride with you. So please do keep us informed. Anything you want to, anything you need from us in Albuquerque? Anything? Uh, if somebody could send me some red chili. Red that chili? would be great. Yeah. Done. Done. That would be fantastic. That would be great. I miss you all. Thank you so much for everything, for the support, for the love, for just uh, for just driving me and being an inspiration point. I, I miss you guys already. You're fantastic. Um, I'll definitely coming back to visit. And as I told people, you know, normally when I go places, I represent my family. But everywhere I go from here on out for the rest of my life, I'm representing not only my family, I'm representing my family of New Mexico and Albuquerque. And I'm telling them what the 505 is really about. Yes. Love it. Absolutely love it. All right, Khalil, we'll check in with you. And good luck with everything. You're the best. There's a reason they hired you. I'm telling yes, you, they're going to be very happy come January. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much, Gene. And happy birthday next Wednesday to my birthday twin. And you too, my birthday twin. <laughs> yes, <laughs> sir. All right, man. Yes, take sir. care. Bye, guys. We'll see you take Friday care. night, folks, at 7 on Channel 5.1. Hope you enjoyed it. I know I did.
All right, y'all, we'll see you there. We're already hard at work on this week's Facebook Live. It's going to be on an update on redistricting. The Citizen Redistricting Committee last week held their first meeting since establishing some proposed maps for uh, the redistricting process. They're working through that. Uh, they whittled it down a bit, and the next step is to go out to the public at various locations to get their feedback. We're going to be efforting to live stream as many of those as possible. They'll start next week. You can check our website. Uh, we do, sorry, go to the website and look under community, and you will see a page uh, that has all of the dates and uh, as well as the archive of the original round of public hearings. So lots of great information for you there, but we'll be getting an update on exactly where they are in the process and what the timeline is. So lots of great stuff already in the works. But uh, until next time, we hope you all stay safe and healthy and come find us on social media. Let us know what you're up to, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. We are there. We want to hear from you. Have a great day, everyone.